Thank you for choosing to listen to the Emmaus Chapel Messages podcast, a ministry of Emmaus Bible College. Each episode is taken from a chapel message given here at Emmaus. For more information about similar Emmaus ministries, please visit concerninghim.com. Morning. I'll try to hold your post-spring break attention span. Keep your Bibles open in 1 Timothy 4, and uh, we're going to consider once again being equipped for every good work according to our, our theme. I am a person who values efficiency, very much so, and because of this, I am haunted when my four-year-old asks me if she can help me with the dishes. This happens, this happens often. I'm grateful for this. Don't get me wrong. There are worse things she could be asking for. There are worse things that she does, in fact, ask for. I'm happy when she or her little sister runs over to me excitedly and asks if she can help. I am happy And I am haunted. Haunted because, despite the very cute, genuine, heartfelt desire to help, my girls are not that helpful, simply put. I value efficiency. I want my daughters to be able to do things, but I frequently find myself unwilling to endure the training regimen required to get them there. When Eliza, the four-year-old, helps me with the dishes... Her job is to hand me a dirty dish that is on the counter to the left of the sink so that I can wash it, rinse it, and put it in the drying rack in the other sink. You would not believe, I swear to you, you would not believe the time cost associated with giving up that part of the process to the four-year-old. And if you add the two-year-old, Izzy, which often happens, You've got time added to the put the dishes in the other sink side of the process, too. It's brutal. The day Eliza asked me to teach her how to fold a blanket was a tough day. The day I had to teach her how to cut up her food instead of just cutting it up myself. It's a miracle I haven't decided to cut up their food until they're 15. was a tough day. And the hardest part of parenting, literally, The hardest part of parenting, literally meaning figuratively, of course, is car seats. I want to know who among you is worthy of respect? Who has successfully buckled a child into a car seat? Wow, that's more than I would have guessed. More than I would have guessed. Much respect. What a cumbersome process. It depends on the quality of the car seat, of course. If you use hand-me-down car seats, You're going to pay a price for that. There's a lot of gunk in there. Slows down the straps. The point is, right about when you have it mastered, right at the point when I felt like I had it mastered. So we're talking two girls, two sides of the car, two car seats, 90 seconds to get them both strapped in tightly. Right? Right? You're cruising. Sure enough, about a week after I reached that point, we're going to the car, and Eliza says... Dad, can I do it myself? Devastating, (laughs) devastating news. She wants to be trained. She's old enough that she can. She can do the she can do the whole thing on herself, except for really tightening the strap. She can do the whole thing on her own. It takes, you have to add zeros to the 90-second time. I promise you, many zeros. She wants to be trained. 
She needs to be equipped. She needs to be trained. But it's time-consuming work to help my girls move from being categorically not equipped to being equipped. It's worth the trouble, of course, and I'm, I'm even being overdramatic about how troublesome it is. It's a lot of fun. You make memories, but you give up time. You give up time. The point is, or the point I'd like to make is, until they are trained, until they are well-equipped to do whatever task they want to do, they're going to make a mess. Maybe not literally a mess, but they're going to make mistakes. They're going to slow me down. They're going to require full attention from me. It's, it's not even that you get to go do something else as a parent. Not only do you not get to do it as fast as you'd like, you have to stand there and watch so you can tell them when they do it wrong so they don't keep doing it wrong forever. It requires attention. It's all just the nature of the beast, and we're all this way. We're all this way. Here you are at Emmaus. Why? Because you want to become equipped. Equipped to impact the world for Christ. This is our mission. Educate and equip you to impact the world for Christ, which assumes that you're not equipped yet. You come here not equipped. Now, this is not me saying you are the spiritual equivalent of a four-year-old. I'm really not saying that, okay? Many of you spoil us with how eager you are and how well-equipped you are, but that said, the truth remains, if you tried to go out into the world and do something extraordinary some ministry or venture to serve Christ and serve other people, if you went to do that today, most of you would most likely accomplish nothing in the long run and make a mess along the way. You're just not equipped. Consider this. Consider the war in Ukraine. As you read, as you hopefully have read, of the terror and devastation going on in Ukraine and surrounding countries, you see need so much need. What do they need right now in Ukraine and those other countries that have taken in Ukrainian refugees? What do they need? They need people equipped to help them in the name of Jesus. That's what they need. Nurses, teachers, businessmen and women, intercultural ministers, computer scientists, counselors, educational ministers. You get the idea. They need, I mean, they literally need all of those people, the, the problems are so diverse and so widespread that they need it all. And you might feel the urge to go now, right now, to do something. I hope you feel that urge, that you read what people are going through, not just in the case of the war in Ukraine, but in other cases. All the need for all the skills. And I hope you feel the urge to go, to go. But... My message to you this morning is, don't go. Don't go yet. You're not ready, and I'll happily use myself as an example. I wish, I wish I could get on a plane, go to Poland, and start a makeshift school for Ukrainian refugees. Missing, missing months or years of education, especially when you're young, is devastating. Arguably irrecoverable loss. So I see that, and I think, I'm a teacher. I want to serve them. I want to serve Christ. Let's go start a school. Forget Emmaus. I'll go start a school. I'll take Ms. Kratzer and Dr. Yuke with me, Mr. Jimmo. The problem is, 
I've never run a school. I've never started a school from scratch. I've never spent time with refugees. I don't know Polish or Ukrainian culture or language. I don't know what their schooling would have been like up until the point where they come to this school. I don't know how to get resources for the school. I don't know Polish laws about starting a school. I don't know the average grade level of refugees fleeing into Poland. I don't know any of these things. So mark my words, if I did that, if I went over there with a heart full of love and service and tried to do this, I would accomplish nothing in the long run, and I would make a mess along the way. That's what would happen. That's what would happen. So what should I do instead? If that were my calling, if I decided it was God's calling on my life to be a an an international refugee school administrator, what I should do is channel the energy, channel the passion into equipping myself for it. That's what I should do. I'd be ready at some point. I have some relevant knowledge and experience. I'm not starting from square one, but there's a lot of equipping. There's a lot of equipping to do. We must do it, each of you, for the sake of your future ministries. You must equip yourself with the training you need for the task that will be before you in the future. This is why you're here. And of course, this goes beyond tangible skill sets. I've been speaking in terms of vocational training, really, so far with these illustrations. But we know that's not the only thing, and it's not even the most important thing that you're training for. And our passage this morning speaks to this in 1 Timothy 4. I want to walk through these few short verses, 6 through 10, with the question in mind, how do you go from being not equipped to being equipped? That is the goal. That is the goal. How do you go from one to the other? Okay? Now, as you look at the test, you notice, you may have noticed the word training. I actually can't remember the version Tacey was reading. But the word training at least in the ESV, is in this passage multiple times. The concept of training and being equipped is even more evident. So with eyes on the text, I'll add comments as we go through these, through these verses. 1 Timothy 4, 6 through 10. Paul's writing to Timothy, the young shepherd influencer. He says in verse 6, if you put these things before the brothers. Now, Paul has just mentioned in verses 1 through 5, some people are going to leave the faith. They're going to be influenced by these pseudo-religious people who think they have authority. They say ridiculous things. In this case, don't get married, don't eat this food, don't eat that food. Paul says, don't listen to that. God created marriage. God created food. Be thankful. Partake. And to Timothy, put these things before the believers at Ephesus. Bring it to their attention. Explain it to them. We pick up. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus being trained. There's our word. Perhaps your translation says nourished. That's a more common translation. Either is fine. Both both refer to something that is not sporadic or inconsistent, you understand. If you're training well, you're exercising consistently and purposefully. If you're being nourished well, if you switch to the eating metaphor... If you're being nourished well, you're eating consistently and purposefully. The more important point, the more important point is what provides this training and nourishment that Paul's talking about. He says, being trained 
in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. So Timothy's workout is words of the faith and good doctrine. The teachings he has received from Paul, the other apostles, accounts of Christ's life, Christ's work, death, resurrection, the body of truth that has been passed down to him, that he's already following, it says, that you have followed. This is his exercise regimen. This is what he's using or, and should continue to use. His actions as a servant of Christ will be evidence that he's trained in these things. Verse 7, have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths, which is no doubt a reference to those things in verses 1 through 5, but more distractions, fruitless debates. You know about fruitless debates. Bible college. I mean, you get to a point in a debate sometimes where it's like, why are we even talking about this? Right? Don't waste your time, Timothy. Don't waste your time. Now, there's a balance, right? Because Paul wanted Timothy to be aware of particular false teachings. It's not useless to be aware and to bring them before the brothers. But be careful. Don't have anything to do with irreverent silliness. Rather, rather, verse 7, train yourself for godliness. There's training again. Train yourself. It's not just going to happen. No one sits around at Emmaus for four years. People do sit around at Emmaus for four years. No one sits around at Emmaus for four years and comes out the other end well-equipped. You know these people, whining, grumpy. I'm a grumpy old man about so many things, but don't be a whiny, grumpy student always complaining about the assignment or the teacher or all the things Emmaus is doing wrong. You know what? We're not claiming to be perfect here. Take a chill pill. Train yourself. That's not training. Those characteristics are not characteristics of somebody who's training themselves. You don't see people in the gym whining the whole time and coming out with a six-pack. I don't think. I'm never in the gym, full disclosure. I suspect that does not, there's not a strong correlation between those two things. Don't do those things. Train yourself. Take responsibility. Own your education. It's your money you're spending, or your parents. Paul's end goal, Paul's end goal isn't formal education, though. That's our context. His end goal isn't formal education. It's godliness. Godliness. This unique and vital aspect of the equipping process Paul lays out the goal, the purpose. He's already mentioned some of the substance of the training, the words of the faith, the good doctrine. That's the regimen, but here's the prize, godliness. And it's worth noting, Paul doesn't encourage Timothy to make sure he trains himself for, what would you, what's the stereotypical thing young people get? Don't train yourself in being culturally engaged. It's not train yourself in Passion and eagerness and zeal, right? All those things that sometimes I think do only young people have passion. Old people are wise. Young people are dumb, but they have passion at least. That's not what Paul says. That's not what Paul says. Train yourself for godliness. Your godliness is the best thing you have to offer, not your energy, not your youthful energy. It's your godliness. Paul will say famously in the next paragraph, don't let anyone despise your youth. Set the believers an example in godliness. 
speech, conduct, faith, love, purity. That's the best you have to offer. That's what you're training for. Godliness is the goal because godliness is the long game. Verses 8 and 9. While bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for this present life and also for the life to come. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. So the point is, you want to train for the long haul? Think big. Think bigger than this life. You want the hours in the gym to be worth it? Then do the right kind of training. Feast on God's word with the goal of godliness, and your workouts are going to pay dividends forever. Every good work in this life, every good work in the next life, and the reward and satisfaction that will accompany both in both lives. Now, we don't tend to be long-term thinkers, but that is Paul's challenge to Timothy. Are you doing the kind of training, and Timothy is, are you doing the kind of training now that will pay dividends forever? I gave the example earlier of Ukraine and the urge you might have to get off the sidelines and go serve, and my exhortation is stay here. Focus on equipping yourself for ministries like that instead of going and making a mess because you got a heart of service but no skills. Train yourself now. Doing garbage homework does matter because that's the training. It's the whole point. But, but understand, even that isn't the long game, right? The years after you graduate, the career you have, the ministry you have, the ways you're going to serve Christ, we pray you do, deeper and more important than all of that is the way you conduct yourself, your character. This makes sense. If I go and start a school in Poland, it's not going to do any good if I'm a jerk or don't have integrity. It's going to end up being more abusive, right? Godliness absolutely enhances career and ministry. It's not either or. The long game is about eternity, but we live in light of eternity, right? It's not that you have to think of your job or eternity. It's both. It's both. We are trying to equip you here with both vocational skills and with godliness. God's word is the regimen, which is why you're all Bible majors. And we hope each of you become well-equipped to serve others, too. So here's my encouragement for the next eight weeks. One, remind yourself, remind yourself, please, that you're not equipped for the good works that lie ahead. Yeah, you're equipped for good works you're doing now, but that dream ministry you're not equipped for. You might feel ready. I know that feeling. In fact, I'm reminded when I was at Emmaus, so, so passionate and confident and proud And uh, my best friend and I decided we were going to start a church in Dubuque. All these Dubuque churches are doing it wrong, of course. I'm studying the Bible and reading the Bible and see how to do church the right way. So my best friend and I actually go to, we go to Dr. Sanchez, who was our Bible prophet at the time, so excited. We think he's going to be like, oh, finally, the young people of passion that this generation has been waiting for. And instead, we got roundly put in our place for such a, such a devastatingly proud desire. He said pretty much, 
you don't know anything, shut up, sit down, and learn for a few years here. I am thankful, 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 thankful for that. Number one, remind yourself you're not ready. Two, buckle down, take ownership, train yourself, have the spirit of a child, the relentless desire to want to try things yourself, desperate for the chance to accomplish something like little kids, it's a wonderful thing. That's the, kind of, that's the kind of student we can work with. You can be all sorts of stupid, but if you are ready to learn and want to learn, you're going to be fine. You will grow, 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 and not stop growing. So be that way. Be that way. Buckle down. Take ownership. Three, keep your eyes on the prize. You do not have to separate in your mind the earthly vocation you are pursuing and an eternal mindset. Do not think that full-time ministry in churches is the only kind of ministry that you could do and that you have to choose between ministry or a job. It's not how it works. Have in mind what you want to do, the kind of school you want to teach in, the kind of country you want to serve in, the type of ministry you want to do in one of many different places. Have that in mind along with the prize of godliness. It's what you do and how you do it, and being equipped for every good work does require both. Now I'll close with verse 10, which is where Paul explains that his eyes are on the prize. In summation, put these things before the brothers. Being well trained. Train yourself. Ignore irreverence. Train yourself for godliness. Verse 10, for to this end we toil and strive. Words that imply hard work. We toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Of course, nothing I've said is possible without the living God. It's the foundation of what we do. There is no eternity without him, and you are more to be pitied than anyone on the planet if you believe in eternity and it's not real. We have our hope set, and because of that, we work hard. That's what you should do to equip yourself. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time and encouragement. Thank you for Paul and Timothy. Thank you for Emmaus and what we can do here, what we can learn here the way that you are equipping, have equipped many of these students in countless ways already to do extraordinary things. Pray that you would continue to equip them. Answer your promise to to make them competent, make them equipped for every good work because of the effects of your word. Make us humble, Make us aware of our skills. Help us to seek both the ability to do things and to do them in a godly way. And we pray that it would bring you honor. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Emmaus Chapel Messages podcast. This ministry is possible because of the generous contributions from our partners around the world. For more information about partnering with us, please visit emmaus.edu partner.